Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest in the world of business, marketing, entrepreneurship, and all things awesome. And there's no better guest that I would love to have on my show for the 1800th time, Mr. Dave Meltzer. Dave, how you doing, man? I am so good. And yes, this is a place that I love to be. And it's an amazing experience every time. And it's just been too long. I was so excited. We finally are getting back together. Usually it's in person, uh, but I'm okay on this virtual scene with you, especially. And I, and I certainly appreciate you. And we were just joking before. I was trying to make the the reference to uh, uh, getting your, your jacket. And I said green jacket, which is the Masters, but it's actually Saturday Night Live when I think a host uh, does their fifth or tenth? I forgot what the magic number fifth. is, it's but they fifth. It's fifth. they get the robe. So be looking for some podcast swag uh, in the mail. I'm dead serious. I got some good stuff for you, um, Dave. Your San Diego Padres heading into the All Star break tonight are ten games behind the Los Angeles Dodgers. The team hosting the game tonight. Uh, what's your outlook on your team, man? At the halfway mark of the season. Well, look, we have an extraordinary staff. The difference is our two MVP players. You're talking about two players that contend for the MVP uh, in Machado and Tatis Jr. We're not there. And when one of them was there, we were up there a game and a half out, a couple times a half a game up. Uh, so now what we're going to play for is to get everybody healthy and to make that wild card spot. I don't think we have enough time uh, with the players coming back uh, when they come back to reach out and grab the Dodgers. But as you know, in baseball, it doesn't matter. A lot of wildcard teams go all the way. Yep. And I think we're going to be a tough team to play. I don't think that any team in the National League wants the Padres to make the playoffs with Tatis and Machado uh, with our pitching staff. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one. My, my New York Mets got manhandled by the by the uh, by the Houston Astros a couple of weeks back, and it scared me. But one of the cool things about baseball, and I was joking with my friends, Dave, there's more stats in baseball than any sport combined, I think. I mean, they have metrics for how did this guy on a Tuesday when his wife was pregnant in the month of June in an even year, right, against a lefty relief pitcher, right? They, they have crazy stats there. But one of the stats that, that blew my mind was the New York Mets in 1986 lost every game to the Houston Astros, and they came back, and we all know what happened there. A lot of, a lot of synergies. I'm feeling good about my team. I'm feeling good about this conversation. So let me ask you this. You know, how does, how does that situation you're talking about with the Padres equate to business? You have a business team, and with so much of the great resignation, the great recalibration, everyone's moving jobs, work from home, all this BS. How do teams keep it together and step up these days? What are you seeing out there? Yeah, I think the determining factor a little different than health. You know, that's the wild card of baseball and football. Um, you know, I would say, you know, what good is Tom Brady if he's sitting on the bench uh, hurt? But 
more importantly, I think companies with the great resignation and of course the great rehiring, which is going to occur here pretty soon as well, um, is something called engagement. Um, if you look at the surveys that have been done and the research that's been done, uh, engagement is an all-time low. Even though we've had this remote working and hybrid working and other things, people are finding themselves in alternate interest and reprioritizing their own values, which creates less of an engagement. And why is engagement important? Um, let me use the Tom Brady analogy again. Uh, if Tom Brady was healthy, but he only played on first down, right? He was only engaged for a quarter of the offensive plays. It'd be a whole different team. Um, and the difference is instead of bringing in Matt Castle or some other second string quarterback to fill his spot with, you know, a, job a, in some business. sort of percentage, but in the business world, you get not a Zippo, the, the Bustola. And so engagement's the most critical of all components. It's even more critical than health in sports because there is no replacement it's because people are lying to themselves and lying to the company and they are going through the motions or they're just so busy. Get you know, I, I hate people that get so busy with good intentions working. They forget to make money. They forget to know that what they should be engaging by prioritizing their activities correctly. Yeah, and it's such it's such a great take. And 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 as always, Dave, to get your perspective on it. I mean, we look back. You and I have connected. I think since the pandemic, we, we we had a in person. We we first connected in person before the pandemic in New York City. We in the last three years we've connected a number of times on the podcast here. And and the conversation has changed when we talk about work from home and. The very beginning, it was kind of like a lot of companies that weren't remote are now remote and they had to go through the transition. There was many companies that were remote and where it was a very logical transition and people who were now remote for the first time and in most cases were happy. They didn't have to commute. They didn't, you know, they had more time with their family. And then as we saw time go on, the blur between work, life and home it was just it was just a blur, exactly that. And there was no separation of church and state. And now we're seeing the burnout of it. And we're also not talking about the people where guess what? What about that single parent in a small one-bedroom apartment with no Wi-Fi and has to take care of kids all day and can't be their best performer? We're not talking enough about that. So we've hit this point where now it's a great divide between work from home or not work from home and companies don't know what to do. How are you working with your clients from a consulting perspective to create an environment that works for everybody? Well, first of all, you need to know the skills, knowledge, and desire of the people that are working with you and the skills, knowledge, and desire that's necessary for each position that's being filled. And that alignment is critical, whether it's hybrid, work at home, remote, or work in the office. And so knowing and, and acting upon what you have control of, the employee's mindset, heart set, and hand set, which is relying upon the skills, knowledge, and desire, and you being able to put people in the position of strength, not weaknesses. So many times, especially now, you know, take a mother, for example, the numbers I was on with the um, chairman of Deloitte. Uh, she's the first woman uh, chairman of Deloitte. And the numbers from their research, which I'm sure they spent millions and millions of dollars on, uh, it is completely uh, uh, discriminatory towards women. 100%. Uh, because, you know, and I, I thought it might create uh, equity and inclusion that the men are staying home with the wife. Well, no, it just created more work for the wives and uh, it put them at a huge detriment. Like you said, what are you going to do? If Professional you're development. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it's important to look at skills, knowledge and desire and create an atmosphere aligned with what's needed to be done. And the companies that are able to do it are really benefiting and creating a bigger divide uh, in a successful, passionate, purposeful and profitable business. 
Yeah, it's a fantastic perspective. And another take I wanted to, to get from you is we're, we're seeing all of these layoffs right now. We're seeing layoffs. And, and in my opinion, some of them are justified. And some of them are these startups and other VC-backed uh, companies that were just juiced up and they made a lot of hires during the during the the, the bull run. And now, you know, the, the recalibration, capitulation, it's all coming to to a head and they have to let people go. But there's this interesting take when they're like, oh, we, we needed to lay off 10% of our workforce. Well, was there ever an option on the table to say, hey, senior management, everyone director level and above, if we all took a 5 6% pay cut, then maybe we could keep these people? Is that is that not a realistic thing? I mean, you've been in the business world a long time. You've seen it. Is that just like a bullshit thing where people are like, let's, let's just try to keep everybody here solution? Is that not real? Or are these senior executives being selfish? Hot take. Well, I think in the smaller, small business realm, you saw a bunch of people like me say, I'm going to make nothing to keep my employees when COVID or the pandemic hit. And I think those type of people's uh, people continue in the small business realm and even midsize, uh, the executives take a cut to keep the people. Uh, but I think it's so impersonal uh, and it's so money oriented that in a large company, no, it's not realistic because everybody involved from the board to the executives, to the high level management, they want their ring on their wise finger, the mm -hmm. pony in the back or out in the chip around the world bonus. <laughs> and they would rather try to hit their numbers or at least have an excuse why they didn't hit their numbers by laying people off than actually taking a cut uh, from the top down. And I think it's unrealistic to think because of the way big business is built that there's a personal accountability or empathy involved with laying off a thousand people that are working in the warehouse. Yeah, I mean, it's also context, right? When you hear about these layoffs, where where were those folks cut from? Were they brought on during, you know, a, a period of, of binging where, where there was great expansion and now there, there's contraction? And I think a lot of that is lost in the media too. And the other word, I mean, I'm going to call it what it is. I, I think that people throwing around the buzzword empathy too much. Um, I think that to take a, a word from one of my mentors, Joe Mulling, is this concept of emotional agility, to be able to level up and down your response to somebody else who's going through something so you can be best prepared to help them. And that's something I've really tried to do lately. Let's just say, Dave, you're going through something. What help am I to you if I come down all the way to your pain versus being at a little bit higher level so I'm actually able to help you? And I think that transcends to business too. What are your thoughts? Oh, absolutely. Meeting people where they're at but also being able to elevate others to elevate yourself, right? These are two separate things. And the way that I see empathy and use empathy, which is, you know, I always like to work from stable data because we do throw words around like authenticity or oh, yeah. empathy. Those are two of the most thrown around words. For me, empathy is a little bit different than most people because I see empathy as forgiveness. Uh, obviously, I have a spiritual background. I have a different physical, metaphysical uh, take on business than most people do. And so empathy for me is the ability to forgive myself for hiring all those people, right? To forgive myself for hiring all those people and being too optimistic and trying with good intentions to provide value and to create more value. And if I am empathetic in my definition of it, forgiving of myself, then I can take accountability, like which is a little different as well, saying, what did I do to participate in this perception? What am I supposed to learn from it? And when I learn that, hey, you should not have hired these people, what can I do to keep them now? Um, and look, some jobs are not necessary. Take, take like a, a crypto bank, you know, that is in chapter 11, right? They have to lay people off. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. That's different than the guys who can't uh, could easily keep people or, or remove move them to a different location or giving them an option to stay on. Uh, they'll take a cut cut plus the employee can take a cut to stay on. The podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vincherry, the recruitment operating system, the all in one tech platform purposely built for recruitment and staffing to unify your front, middle and back office operations. Vincherry is designed by recruiters for recruiters. Both the company and the platform are the unique creations of successful recruiters who sold their business, saw a need for a better recruitment tech and made it happen. And if you're looking to upgrade your recruitment tech and give your recruiters a new modern operating system, visit vincherry.io slash podcast. That's V-I-N-C-E-R-E dot I-O backslash P-O-Z-C-A-S-T for an exclusive offer. Thanks. Let's talk about accountability. Um, I was at Gary V's VCon uh, a couple of months back in May, and that was kind of a resonating theme and, and talking point, not just by Gary. I heard Kevin Smith talk about it. I heard Jesse Itzler talk about it. Some folks that I hold in a, in a really high regard there too. Accountability. And one of the pieces Gary was talking about is, is teaching accountability to kids when they're young. And I have a four-year-old son. My daughter just turned 10. And I'm, and I'm trying to find ways as a parent to teach them accountability. And it's tough. And Dave, as a, as a parent of your, your kids are, are getting a little bit older. You're four. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're a little bit older. But talk to us a little bit about, well, there's two things. Like trial and error as a parent. We're never going to be 100% batting average, 1,000% batting average coming out of the gaze of parent. We learn too. But talk to us a little bit about, you know, those lessons learned as a parent and teaching kids accountability. Because this is, this is me all ears learning from you right now. Absolutely. So two, two things. One, your kids aren't going to listen to you. <laughs> and so the best way that we teach our children is let them watch us. So the lessons of accountability come from us being accountable, from them being somewhere where you take and say, what did I do to participate in this perception of this situation? What am I supposed to learn from it and articulate the lesson to the child or children of what you've learned from the participation in the perception. Now, the second thing I wanna talk about is what accountability means to certain people, just like empathy means something different to me and forgiveness right. than, than it does to you. So for me, um, accountability used to be a punishment. And, and let me explain why. I thought it as responsibility. I thought it as, what did I do to attract this to myself? And what am I supposed to learn from it? So when I was abused as a nine-year-old, and I went into my therapist to talk about it in my 50s, knowing that it's created interference in my life. You know, mm -hmm. I said this to the therapist, you know, hey, this happened to me when I was nine, but I attracted it to myself and I've learned these lessons. So it's not a bad thing in my life. And he said, hold on a second. Let's unpack you that know? one there. Yeah, right. And so, but that's where I came up with the new definition Interesting. of what did I do to participate in the perception from that happening, what am I supposed to learn from it? But my children learn from watching me. And guess what? I can see the difference uh, in my parenting today because uh, the lessons you learn from watching me today, not only are there more lessons and more places to watch me, but I'm teaching better uh, lessons by the actions that I'm taking compared to when I was in my 30s and my two older daughters were young. The actions I took were not ones that were teaching forgiveness and, and accountability. And those who know your story too, you are a much, 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 much different person 20 years back than you are now. Everyone knows the Dave Meltzer story and, and you could go back and take a, a listen to it. Very different. And, and I say it's very similar in my life too, because that's us growing. We're growing along with our children. We're maturing and leading by example. And my daughter, I mean, one thing I talk about all the time is my exploration and learning into the Web3 NFT world, I'm doing it side by side with her. 
and we're learning together I, and, and, and we're using that as a bonding experience. And she sees what I'm building here and she's starting to understand entrepreneurship and she sees what mommy and daddy do every day and, and, and she gets it. And I think there's another piece about accountability that goes together is vulnerability. I didn't become a vulnerable person and open up my vulnerability portal until I started to take accountability. And I'm like, cool. oh shit, okay, this is, this is what my loss is. I'm going to own them. And what does that mean? And that's something that I'm trying to teach my kids too. It's a little hard with a four-year-old, but my 10-year-old gets it. It's so interesting because you're already starting that. And I'm in the stage where the 23, 21-year-old are working with me. I'm helping them build a business. And it's then two, my 18-year-old and interning for me this summer and all of her friends, which makes it really fun. But vulnerability can take a third step. And you talked about Gary. I'm going to be meeting with Gary next week. Again, we we're blessed. You know, we spend 10, 15 minutes together every time we get a chance enough. But, you know, I remember telling him that I can't believe that I'm doing videos about going bankrupt. You know, I lost over a hundred million dollars and he looked at me, he goes, what? I go, dude, if somebody would have told me, I would admit that I lost everything, that I'm an idiot. Like you would have, I would have rather died. He goes, Dave, just wait to see what you're vulnerable, what, what you do. And so there's a second stage of vulnerability, especially today in the media world we live in, uh, where everyone is a media person in some respect, whether it's just with their family or whatever, wherever, like you and I, to the whole world, it's called illumination. So it's one thing to be vulnerable and be accountable, but it's another to illuminate to your children the mistakes, to be able to tell the truth and say, hey, th this is what happened. This is what I learned from it. This is how I participated in it. And, uh, you know, you make your own decisions. This is what I tell my kids all the time. You make your own decisions. But I just want to tell you my experience with it. And I know, regard. I can't tell you not to drink. I can't tell you not to smoke pot. I can't tell you not to try certain things. Uh, but I have tried them. Yep. And here's what I have found from it. And, you know, there is risks involved. And I want you to know the risks. If you're willing to do a line of cocaine knowing there's fentanyl and that three of my friends' kids have died... <sighs> Right from from fentanyl, one, one extreme student at NYU, a, a beautiful child who just experimented. If if you're willing to look, it's your life, it's, it's your crazy. timing and risk hours. It's like I can tell you to, not to buy something, but it's your risk. Like I teach people all the time, timing and risk hours. I you know I coach people on how to invest. And I'll tell them all the time, it's up to your timing and risk tolerance. Let me just teach you about the market, the market makers, and the margins. I teach you about the timing and risk tolerance in life issues. And, and you're providing them with the tools and hopefully enough solid parenting where you've enabled them to make their own decisions and make the right decisions, to make, to make, to make those right decisions. It's, it's an absolutely crazy world we live in. And I don't want to go too dark on that, but it, it's an absolute terrible uh, epidemic that we, that we have right now in our country. And the listen, it, it's one of those things. And, and my mom talks about it all the time. My parents are in their early 70s. And my mom's like, pot is, was a lot less strong when I was your age. And, and that's yeah. the right, like there was just some brown and light green shit out there. And now it's all these crazy medicinal stuff out there that, that'll, that'll rock your world. And that's the light stuff, you know, without going um, too deep into yeah. it. So we only have a couple more minutes here. And one of, I'm at this interesting stage right now. I just launched my, my second company focusing on, on web three hiring. And I'm at this place where I, I, I feel like I'm spinning a lot of plates. I feel like that's that's what I'm doing right now. Keep this plate going. Keep this plate going. Doing the the renovation in the kitchen, getting the kids off to camp, fixing something in the house, doing this right now, and I and I find it hard sometimes to slow down. And one of the things that really helps me slow down, I shit you not, Dave, is watching a baseball game by myself on television. 
for me, like people like baseball's too slow. I go, no, no, no. I put my phone down and I just sink myself, you know, into a Met game. But that's not an everyday tactic. That's not an everyday thing there. As I grow, I know this is a success. I know I'm moving in a successful direction. I look at my numbers, profitable, growing, hiring more people. What are, what are some things that I could do to kind of just slow down, but still keep things moving quickly? Yeah. So remember two minutes a day is with more than two hours on a Saturday. Remember the consistent, persistent pursuit of your potential. Utilize five daily practices that I've created that I will send to you. I'll send to everyone out there. I give them for free. As you know, I do as much as I can for free to empower the world to be happy. And these five daily practices changed my life. And I'm going to go, give me one minute to go through them here. Here's the platform. The past is relative, right? Everything, you give meaning to the past. My bankruptcy is now one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. Why? Because I've learned that I would have been dead if I didn't go bankrupt or at the very least divorce. Both were going to be miserable outcomes. Thank goodness that happened to me. My future is also relative. I can dream of whatever I want, but today is real. It has 24 hours in it, and I'm going to be as productive, accessible, and gracious with my time, including recovery and access, like watching a Met game maybe. But here's the difference of being very attentional and intentional. Attention, paying focus, intention, not only what you do, say, think, believe, but even feel in order to equal the coincidences that I want for my day. Number one, start your day by telling yourself or asking yourself, what is it I actually want today in a trajectory of a future opportunity or goals or objectives that scare me? Like for me, I have a mission of empowering the entire world, making over a billion people happy. That's a pretty scary objective. Most people will laugh at me when I tell them, but today is very realistic. I know what I want today personally, experientially, giving wise and receiving wise today. Then I ask myself, who can I help with that and who can help me? Then I ask myself, how best can I get that done? Looking and studying the activity I got planned, the activity I don't have planned, and my sleep, studying the activity I get paid for, and the activity I don't get paid for, and my sleep, to determine step four, which is the antidote to your problem with spinning plates. It's the antidote to feeling overwhelmed. It's the antidote to procrastination, an adjunct of feeling overwhelmed, and it's called prioritization. You see, if you know what's important to you, the what, the who, and the how, you will know your now. If you know your now, 100% of the things you do now get done, therefore you'll be more efficient, effective, and statistically successful. But the greatest outcome is the fifth daily practice that if you know your what, your who, your how, and your now, you will be able to identify what's interfering with your now. You'll be able to identify the ego-based consciousnesses that creates interference between you and what already is yours, happiness, health, wealth, and worthiness. So instead of sitting there every day going, I got to get more healthy, I got to get more happy, more wealthy, more worthy, you're going to say, I am happy, healthy, wealthy, exactly. worthy. This is what I'm doing to interfere with it. And this is what I'm doing, saying, thinking, believing, and feeling to clear that interference so that instead of searching for a why, I apply my why and inspiration every day and I'm more productive, accessible, and gracious. And guess what? All of those spinning plates give me joy and I have enough time to sit down and enjoy inactivity I don't get paid for, the Mets game. Yeah, exactly. And and that is the gold. That is the gold, people. And I want everyone to pause, rewind, slow that down to 0.5, slow dive down to a 0.5 on the replay, let that sink in there. And and let me just say this too. The plates that I'm spinning are all fun that drive my passion. 
I love yeah. what I'm doing. I'm in this mode right now, Dave, where I'm a, I'm a creator. I mean, I've been moving into the space. I love creating stuff and, and it just brings such Helping joy to me people. and right. And everything I'm doing is enjoyable. And of course there's, there's fears. I'm, I'm scared of my business and recruiting of the market right now and the economy and this quote unquote recession. And that's keeping me up at night too. And you talk about sleep and sleep, sleep is always about health and intake. And listen, I'm, we're not telling people not to drink or do other things, but that affects your sleep. You might enjoy it temporarily, but that's going to affect you negatively. So think about the decisions that you make every day. Um, last but not least, we're going to keep this one short and sweet here. So this is a new podcast question because I've asked you all the go-tos. <clears throat> You've decided to give it all up. And no one knows about this passion of Dave Meltzer, but Dave in his spare time when he's not spinning plates or rooting for his Padres, he loves to write little antidotes. He loves to write little fortunes. And he sees on LinkedIn that a job came up and he applied. He is now the head fortune cookie writer at the Fortune Cookie Factory. What is the first fortune you are writing in your new job? <laughs> I'd like to say- Short and sweet. Makes, Remember, you like to talk a lot, Dave. And, Keep it short and sweet. Man, man who makes love in jelly patch ends up in jam. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> my simple one is, is my go-to. Be kind to your future self. Do good deeds. And what are your lucky numbers on the back? 1, 11, 21, 49, and uh, God, the last one will be a variable of 50. That's incredible. Dave, I want to thank you as always for your time, your generosity, your knowledge, your abundance, your friendship, and your mentorship. I appreciate you so much. You got it. Email me, david at dmeltzer.com. And that's where you find them. And that's how we do it. I want everyone to really enjoy this tight, compact, efficient, me not yapping my mouth off because Dave and I could probably do a seven hour podcast. I swear to God, Easy. we could probably do it. But I want to <laughs> thank everyone. Please follow Dave Meltzer. Please check out all things Dave Meltzer. He's an incredible coach. I know folks that are working with him right now. He is the best in the business. Please reach out to him. Remember all things, the podcast at thepodcast.com. We keep it nice and easy. Remember, take care of each other. Look out for one another and catch us next week on another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com. <laughs>